Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We are very excited to have Fern Malice on our podcast today. Fern is the award-winning creator of New York Fashion Week and known as the godmother of fashion. She worked at the CFDA as executive director, as senior vice president of IMG, and now has her own consulting business. She is the author of Fashion Lives, Fashion Icons with Fern Malice, and recently launched Fashion Icons, The Archive on YouTube. Thank you for being here, Fern. My pleasure, Delia. So let's start by what led you to start New York Fashion Week and talk about the process of creating it. So the research, creating the schedule, finding the location, working with the city of New York, finding sponsors, et cetera. How long do we have? That's a lifetime of questions in, in that one, in that one <laughs> ask. Sure. Uh, yeah. But back in um, 1991 um, and 92, I, I applied for, I threw my hat in the ring for the job at the CFDA when, I, when they were looking for a new executive director after having done a hugely successful benefit called Seventh on Sale, mm-hmm. which was the AIDS benefit. And, and um, they were looking for a new director. They, they, the office was a tiny, tiny little office and I had a lot of experience. I was running a big design center in Long Island City, the International Design Center in New York. I'd had a long experience in retail as a fashion director at Gimbel's East in New York and worked at Mademoiselle Magazine at Condé Nast. And one thing led to another and I threw my hat in the ring for the the position. And I was the sixth person of the five finalists they finally narrowed down to. And I literally made it in under the skin of my teeth for the interviews and long story short, after a lot of questions and several interviews in a row and a big board meeting of the whole CFDA board, I was was offered the position. And I took two weeks off to, from my previous work to get ready for this new job. And that was when it was market week in New York when there was the fashion shows happening. And um, I watched from a, a distance because I wasn't in the job yet, but I was always on on the case. And what happened is Michael Kors had a show in an empty loft space down in Chelsea in a raw concrete space. And this place was packed, crowded, lots of fold-up chairs very close to each other. And when they put the bass music on, which if you've been to fashion shows, it's very loud and (laughs) things tend to shake and tremble. And what shook and, and shook when that music went on was the ceiling. And the ceiling over the runway started to crumble. The plaster started coming down Mm. on the shoulders of Naomi and Cindy and Linda and all the one name supermodels that Michael was always the most famous for having the most beautiful girls on the runway. And they brushed their shoulders off. They basically just (laughs) kept walking. Um, For a moment, Michael came out and said, the show will start up again. Um, (laughs) But plaster landed in the laps of Susie Menkes from the International (laughs) Herald Tribune. And in the lap of Carrie, uh, Carrie Donovan, who was the New York Times fashion critic. And they wrote the next day in their papers, and everybody else wrote something similar, that we live for fashion, we don't want to die for it. Because <laughs> nobody remembered what was in that show. Everybody was looking for the emergency exits. <laughs> and, so, and so I said, immediately, I said, I think my job description just changed. Um, it was never part of the discussion when I was being hired and interviewed and, 
and uh, talk to about all the goals and ideas that the CFDA would like to embark on. None of them ever said organize a fashion week, mm. uh, but it was clear that that's what had to happen. <clears throat> and so when I started the job a few weeks later, that was one of the missions to organize, centralize and modernize the American fashion shows. There were other disasters as well before that happened where Isaac Mizrahi had a show in a big loft space in Soho at late at night with a thousand people in there and the power blew. There was, mm. it was pitch black. It was a mm. scary, horrible time. People were still smoking then. So they had lights and lighters and photographers put their lights on. Mm. Uh, and we waited till a backup um, generators were, were, were uh, hooked up. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of issues that precipitated finding a way to make this right. And it seemed like it was also the right time for the American designers who were now becoming more global, mostly because they were doing fragrances and other licensed businesses that were happening in Europe. Calvin Klein, Donna Karen, Ralph Lauren were now the triumvirate of American fashion. You know, mm -hmm. it had moved a little bit away from Oscar de la Renta and Bill Glass and Jeffrey Bean to this new group. Mm -hmm. and it seemed like the right time to do something. I scoured the city looking for spaces where we can do something. And it was at the, it was the late nineties, uh, the, the turn of the decade, there was a recession in New York, uh, in America. And so there were a lot of construction jobs that had stopped building and empty, empty spaces. And we looked, I looked at everything to see what we could do. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally, in the summer, and this, this is really one of the best stories. So in the summer of 1992, the Democratic Convention was in New York, which mm. was a convention that elected uh, Bill Clinton to be the nominee to run for president. And I was on a committee because I was head of CFDA, along with the people running the hospitality industry, the theaters, the museums, all the culture, hospitals, you name it. We were meeting for a year in advance almost weekly to figure out what we were going to do when the convention was in town to be hospitable to everybody and put New York's best foot forward. And as the fashion industry, we said we'd do a fashion show. And we did a show in Central Park on the Sheep Meadow in a beautiful big white tent. And you could never get that tent to happen there again. But this, because it was such a city supported uh, initiative mm -hmm. of the convention, everything, all the permits were, were done. And we did a show for about 1,500 special guests, delegates, media from all over the country that was there. And, and every designer just about in CFDA participated with a, a model with one or two looks. And at the end of the show, they walked out down the runway with their model for the finale. And it was people like Calvin, Donna, Ralph, Oscar, mm -hmm. Bill, Isaac Mizrahi, Todd Oldham, Nicole Miller, um, Joseph Abood, um, you know, Yoli, Anna Sui, you name it. It was everywhere. Mm -hmm. And when they all walked off that runway and onto the lawn outside the tent, they all looked at me and said, is this the kind of tent you're talking about? Because we had meetings talking about, let's put up tents, let's do something. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And they could see how everybody could see from every seat and mm. how powerful that, that scale was in the park. And so that was in the summer. In September, the CFDA sent me to Paris and Milan to see what was going on there. And I did my R&D and met with everybody I could and went to as many shows as I could. 
and came back and literally had one-on-one -on -one meetings with all the heavyweights and said, you've got to do this. You know, mm -hmm. we have to do this together. And I learned mm -hmm. a lot from that trip. And that then we had more meetings with the producers, the production people, the PR people, because a lot mm -hmm. of people were nervous that if we organized this, they were all going to lose their jobs because they wouldn't each need to be renting a place somewhere and starting mm -hmm. from scratch with the seats, with the sound, with the security. But as it turned out, we created more work for everybody and more opportunities. And so we created 7th on 6th, which was named after the Big AIDS benefit, which was 7th on sale. So mm -hmm. we moved 7th Avenue, the generic name of the industry, um, to 6th Avenue. And in the mm -hmm. fall of 93, I think it was, we had the first shows in Bryant Park. We had two tents that were separated, one in the back and one in the by 6th Avenue and one close up behind the library. And we used a venue inside the library, the Sles Bartos Forum. And the park was still finishing a renovation in the city. So the restaurant wasn't there yet in Bryant Park. That's where the tent was. Mm. And that was the first season we had sponsors, which I got by calling up every single person and explaining what we were doing. And, uh, and it, was, it was remarkable how we got the sponsorships because otherwise it wouldn't have happened. You know, I called um, Anna Winter and told her what we needed. And she said, mm -hmm. how much money do you need? And I said, I don't know, maybe half a million dollars. And we really, it was a guessing game at that time. Mm -hmm. And she called back, I think later that day after speaking to her boss, I knew house and said, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. And I said, thank you. Great. <laughs> I, then call, I then called the president of Hearst, which was a uh, place Barenberg. And I said, uh, told him what we were doing. And I said, Vogue's giving us a hundred. And he said, okay, Harper's Bazaar, I'll give you a hundred. And then I called the president of Hachette Philippaki, which had Elle magazine. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, okay, then we'll give you a hundred. And then Hearst called back and said, can we give you another hundred for town and country? And I said, sure can. <laughs> and, and that's how it all started to unravel. I called my friend who used to work for me when I had a PR business, you know, 20 years prior to that who was Jane Hertzmark, who's now Jane Huddis, who's a group global president of Estee Lauder Worldwide. At that mm -hmm. time, she was heading up prescriptives. And I said, Janie, I need a beauty company. And she signed mm -hmm. with her brand. And, and I called friends at Clairol and they signed up. And I even called General Motors and asked to speak to the president. Mm -hmm. And um, what's it about? And I explained it to the secretary. And she said, oh my God, what a great idea. Let me, you know, can you send us some materials and, and followed up with that. And then uh, David Pecker, crazy David Pecker, who was then the Hachette <laughs> said that he would, he would get us General Motors because they published the car and driver magazines. And um, that's how that worked out. We got General Motors as a sponsor. And, wow. and next thing we knew, we had the first organized, centralized, sponsored, um, safe, spectacular event. Mm -hmm. mm. We launched the American Fashion Collections. Just amazing. Really is. I know that was so much work, but so exciting, especially in those early days. So New York Fashion Week has recently been renamed by Tom Ford, the American Collections Calendar. What are your thoughts on this? It's a little confusing. <laughs> well, you know, it was renamed a little a couple of seasons ago when the CFDA embarked on a 
on a, on a um, survey and a study with the Boston Consulting Group who recommended that they no longer call it Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week or uh, whatever, mm-hmm. which, which was a blow to the sponsors, but they felt that that was more important and everybody kind of bought into that. And so it became New York Fashion Week. Although mm-hmm. oddly enough, there's some strange people who own some of those um, um, domains. Mm-hmm. So, so this year, um, the renaming of the, I, I'm not sure what was really renamed actually. It was renaming the right. calendar and that's, uh-huh. and that's fine. I mean, I think Tom Ford's a terrific guy and a smart sure. man. And I, I don't think he knew what he was getting into when he agreed to be president because it was oh, me just minutes before COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So he never anticipated that he'd be faced with an industry Mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to stay alive even. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, they're all doing the best they can. And the truth is it, it it's still New York Fashion Week because it happens in New York. Right. But the truth is it's now no longer a week. It's now it's a month, mm-hmm. if not longer. People are showing mm-hmm. off calendar, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They're showing when it's appropriate for their brand and their sampling and their product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always been for the, um, you know, you can't just say New York designers, for the American designers, even when it was New York Fashion Week, the designers were from LA, they were from the South, they were from, mm-hmm. they were from Spain, they were from Hong Kong, they were from um, England and Italy, people from all over the world showed in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to say the tents in New York were the Ellis Island of fashion. Oh, now, if you wanted to do business in America, you had to come through these tents. Mm-hmm. So. The truth is, it's the American. It's a, a platform for in, in America, and it, even though it's called the American Fashion Collections, it still in, includes mm-hmm. and allows designers who are not even American to show, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that means is you're getting on a list, you're getting on a on a mm-hmm. calendar. Uh, that's all that it is. Uh, the thing that I find confusing is that as they're scheduling these shows now during these pandemic times. It's like 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock. I mean, the truth is, if it's being done digitally and it's online, mm-hmm. it should just be, these are the designers, they're all online, watch them whenever you can. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think mm-hmm. anybody can sit still as much as we've all been forced to in front of a computer mm-hmm. all day to watch mm-hmm. everything. But mm-hmm. I think it's it's all embracive and encompassing and that's fine. Yeah. And everybody's doing their best. Like you said, the thing I was confused about too was here's, so I felt like IMG was doing fashion week quote, you know, the name. And then Mm -hmm. CFDA was talking about it as the American collections calendar. When I was trying to sort of update, you know, our audience, I didn't know which one I should call it. I didn't want to make any mistakes, but I figured. It is is, clearly it is confusing. There's a 360 platform and then there's the New York fashion week platform, even digitally. And, you know, those are business decisions being done, but, mm-hmm. you know, but you, you just have to navigate a little bit more and, you know, mm-hmm. search a little harder to find where they're showing. Some are showing on both platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it would be best for the industry if everybody got together and did one platform mm-hmm. and one um, calendar. Uh, but IMG is uh, clearly is putting on their calendar the people who shows they are producing. You know, they're mm-hmm. producing those shows at whether it's at Spring Studios or in other places, they're they're involved. 
CFDA is not producing anything. When I was running seventh mm -hmm. and sixth and um, the, the tenths, we were, we were both CFDA and seventh and sixth. And so we produced and managed and promoted and did it all. But mm. now CFDA doesn't, is not invested in producing the shows. Their, their okay. investment is in promoting the American fashion industry. Helping the designers. Yeah, I was, I was fascinated by the fact that Jason Wu uh, collaborated with Coca-Cola to set up that grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, well, I guess that's a way that they can afford to put on these shows. Well, th that's exactly right. It's all about sponsorships and finding a clever way to integrate that into your show. And that's, I mean, that's been going on since day one. You know, oh. it was our, our, we always said, we were the first fashion week that had corporate sponsors. Oh, sure. Before even any of the Europeans or any of the other countries around the world had corporate names involved. And then underneath that, designers would work very closely with certain sponsors to give them special access and create some marketing opportunity and collaboration. So mm -hmm. Jason was very clever and Jason actually integrated some of that into his patterns and mm -hmm. colors. And the market was, you know, was very nice because they apparently, they were tw 25 people were the guests there. That's all they could have legally. Mm -hmm. So I, I did see Instagram pictures with people with tote bags taking home food and flowers. So right. I'm sure people there were gifted some of that. And the rest went to, um, I think, City Harvest or some of the food uh, services that feed, um, feed people. Yes. Work. Yes. I loved, loved that idea. It was a prep because Jason's now has Jason Wu eats. He's doing, oh, that's right. He's doing a website now with cooking, which is what many of the designers have started doing during COVID. I mean, I'm fascinated watching the food that these people produce. Right. Forget the clothes. <laughs> I really love what they're cooking. Right. You know, um, <laughs> Philip Lim has yes. eat, eat Your Bellies, or uh -huh. I think that's what it's <laughs> called, um, which is spectacular food site. And, and, and he's doing Instagram Lives, teaching people how to cook these things. And Laura Kim, who is mm -hmm. half uh. of the, the Monse Oscar de la Renta team, yes. um, adore those two. And she has mm -hmm. um, Toki Bun Bun, and mm -hmm. the food she produces. If you look at that on her Instagram, you just salivate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't know how she has time to do all that. Cooking, I don't know but. how they do it. I really don't. <laughs> I know. I'm always so jealous of Fernando getting to eat all the things she creates. I know they have a little group. If you watch them, they're all together all the time. That's their pod. And they right. all eat fantastically. <laughs> they cook and they all look like they're having such a good time. It's, yes. really, it's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. So Fern, what do you think is the future of New York Fashion Week? With all the change, is it as relevant as the other fashion weeks, especially since some American designers they're choosing to show in Paris? And then today, Women's Wear Daily was saying Paris is, or maybe it was Vogue Business, that Paris is going to become more important than New York by 2025. Who knows? 2025, please. I'm what sure. crystal ball are they looking into? <laughs> um, you know, I, the, I'm not sure, you know, the question whether it's what the future is and will it be as relevant as other fashion weeks? I mm -hmm. mean, the whole concept of fashion weeks, I think, I think still has relevance. Um, I mean, nothing 
replaces seeing beautiful clothing and beautiful models mm-hmm. walking down a runway with an audience that can appreciate it, an audience of professionals who understand what they're seeing and, and know the, the meaning and the importance of what is being shown and presented and can collectively cheer that on or collectively have a sigh that they're seeing something special. And mm-hmm. I, there's an energy in a room when you see a show that is great and the music and the, the whole atmosphere, no mm-hmm. matter what, that, that does not come across on a computer, no matter how mm-hmm. well-intended people are. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate all the work that's going into doing these virtual shows because mm-hmm. you have to do something to keep your brand and your messaging out there. And, mm-hmm. and to do that during COVID when you can't even work together and be in the same studios and mm. you can't work with your sample hands and your, your uh, production team, the way mm-hmm. you normally put a collection together. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody can do that by themselves and yet they have been doing it by themselves. Mm-hmm. So I applaud them for what they've accomplished. But I think that, I think it's important that um, all the fashion weeks will continue to evolve. You know, Paris has always been Paris, it's always been the seed of couture, the seed of, mm-hmm. you know, the most original creativity. London mm-hmm. was always known as the edgy, edgy place. Milan was always known as the big manufacturing um, sound for shows and with all the big mills and textiles. Every city has had their own little reputation. America mm-hmm. was always known as, originally as the sportswear capital, as the more you know, the more marketable and saleable clothes in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's changed a little bit to being more, more evening and more, more um, all across the board. But I mean, there are New Yorkers and American designers who have been showing in Paris for years now. Tom mm-hmm. Brown's been showing there and Joseph Altazora showed there. And mm-hmm. even Rick Owens, you know, we first started, Rick was showing with us in LA when we had fashion week and, he decamped to Paris and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and Paris is a home to d- designers from um, Japan and from Malaysia and from Belgium. And, you know, so Paris will always be Paris. Um, New York will always be New York. I mean, New York now is, you know, is going through a tough time, but so is mm-hmm. every city in the world. Every mm-hmm. city in the world has been shut down. Businesses mm-hmm. have suffered, storefronts are empty. You know, we need to get New York back and alive again to be the, the city that we all know and love. And so I don't know if September it will be time for a lots more live shows, but there'll mm-hmm. always be an important place for the New York, um, the New York scene. And New York also was always the fashion week that was known for uh, emerging designers and, propon- and promoting new talent. Um, always was the place where everybody came to see who's new, who's new, who's new. Mm, love that. Do you wish to see a hub again like Bryant Park or Lincoln Center? Well, A, not like Lincoln Center because people hated Lincoln Center for the most part. Mm. Okay. Even though the <laughs> venues were very well done there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I had a quarter for every person who asked me to bring Bryant Park back and run the tents again, I'd be very rich. <laughs> but um you know, you, there's a time and a place for everything. And uh, you just you just can't go back again. You just can't. You know, once mm-hmm. the, you know, who let the dogs out? You know, they, it's mm-hmm. changed. It's a whole new world now. Um, and, it, and a lot of it has to do with all the digital technology and 
all of the other opportunities that are out there. Um, I would, yes, what I love to see a Bryant Park come back, but uh, people who were there appreciate it, know what it was. They mm -hmm. respect what it accomplished and how it, how it secured the American footprint in the fashion world. Mm -hmm. And the excitement that was in Bryant Park, you really felt, it's, it's, it's like the people who tell you stories about being at Studio 54. Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh my God, if you weren't there, you have no idea. Um, Bryant Park was really special. And I, I, I miss the organization. I miss the people. Mm -hmm. I miss the people who are the security to the people who lifted mm -hmm. up the plastic on the runways the, to the vendors that we worked with there, the volunteers. It was really sure. a family. It was a commu fashion community. Um, it was in Hillary Clinton's world, you know, world, it was a village mm -hmm. and, and it took a village to produce the shows. Um, I don't think that, you know, spring studios tries to do that, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not the same. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not the same. And mm -hmm. I, as much as I would love it, it's, I'm off mm -hmm. that dream. It's not going to ever happen again. Right. Okay. What was it? So you just sort of described it, but what was New York Fashion Week like in the early days before, you know, influencers and all of that kind of disruption, I guess? Yeah, it was, it was really, it was really wonderful. I mean, I, I was so proud of the tents, especially after the season that we moved, we moved off Bryant Park for one season to um, Chelsea Piers uh, mm -hmm. when we had fights with Bryant Park and, and then, the mayor, who at that time was Rudy Giuliani, God bless us, um, mm -hmm. he he then gave this, us permission with city blessing to move the tents back to Bryant Park and to use the lawn. Prior to that, we were on the north, um, the east mm -hmm. side of the lawn and the west side of the lawn. And we mm -hmm. had, like I said, buildings in the library and we had the Bryant Park Hotel, which is on 40th Street, was an empty building. We used that for venues. So once we got the permission to move back into Bryant Park, and that was around, I want to say 96 or something like that. Um, and also when the show's schedule changed after Helmut Lang completely threw us all in a tizzy when he moved to New York with his business and decided mm -hmm. that he didn't want to show when the New York shows were, which used to be after Europe, he wanted to show beforehand. We had two fashion weeks for one year with one starting in early September and then one in um, October. So everything kind of went topsy-turvy. But once we got the park where we were able to enter from the steps on 6th Avenue and walk up into that tent and have the fountain inside the lobby <clears throat> with all the venues behind it, you know, we used to do the most beautiful, fun graphics every year on the front of the tent. That was one of my projects. Something that was relevant to the season or to what was happening in the world. Um, you know, in 2008, the whole front of the tent was campaign buttons because it was a year we were electing um, President um, Obama. And we we had every button said style wins, vote for fashion, you know, mm -hmm. where you wear your heels on your, you know, every, we had every we funny slogan in the world. People took, and, and that was really before the craze of selfies, but everybody was taking pictures in front of that tent, like nobody's <laughs> business. And we printed up in millions of buttons and gave them out inside the tents for people to wear. 
you know, and I loved those kind of tent fronts and, and there were stanchions on the side of the stairs and people would just hang out there all day long, watching people come in and come out, watching the models, mm-hmm. the celebrities, the athletes, the, you know, the designers. Um, and it was, you felt like you had made it when you walked up those steps that you were in this, you know, anointed space. And the sh- inside the lounge, there were great lounges and sponsor lounges. There was a great bar. We always had great liquor partners who were sometimes providing too many free drinks. <laughs> you know, and then there were these fabulous backstage lounges that certain sponsors had. The W Hotel was a sponsor. They built lounges in the back, which were like little living rooms and little clubs and um, constant amount of food and they invited their guests to hang out with them backstage. You know, we had Moe and Shandun always providing mm. champagne and, uh, you know, there were just so many fun spaces like that. And then the shows inside, there were the big venue for 1200 seats. There was one for 800 seats, one for like four or 500 and one for 200. So you'd alternate and go to the different shows one after another or you'd leave to go to a show offsite and then you'd come back again and hang out in the lobby till the next shows went on. Uh, it was a fashion village and everybody got to know each other. Security got to recognize mm-hmm. everybody. Um, it was, it was pretty, pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. It sounds we like it. We all sorts of magazines and sometimes we had books, bookshops in there. And, you know, then when we worked with um, created the daily fashion, the daily front row, Mm-hmm. publication that you know you would read every uh, all day long to see if you were in it or not <laughs> um you know it was it was yeah it was it was just fun mm, sounds like so much fun but it was also a business and it, mm-hmm. it needed to do for the business mm-hmm. yeah oh my goodness i'm so sad that we missed out on that <laughs> out well, of all the- you could get the movie the tents if you've not seen it yes. i think it's on it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. And that's, and it's great. that's a, a, it kind of gives you a, a fair sense of what was going on and when it mm-hmm. ended and stuff. Yes. I recently watched that and we highly recommend The Tents. It's a fabulous movie. And so out of all those things that you just mentioned, what is the thing that you miss the most about New York Fashion Week at Bryant Park? I think I miss the energy and the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's really it's about the designers and giving them a platform to soar. But it's also every six months it was like coming back to school and seeing your friends again. Yeah. You know, and just seeing the editors you love from all over the country and others from around the world and seeing the retailers and seeing, you know, there's a who's who in the front rows. And which, as you prefaced this question several minutes ago when you asked me before influencers and bloggers, Mm-hmm. And it was a real who's who in the front row. If Honestly, now, if I saw one of those front rows, I'd be <laughs> whispering to somebody saying, who's that? Who's that? Oh, sure. Who's that? You know, and, sure. uh, you know, and, and all the celebrities. I mean, we got to meet so many fabulous people who were just so much fun to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I miss, I miss that energy and that excitement and that sense of, of being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have made such a huge mark on the fashion industry and the world in general and have changed many people's lives. Do you have any tips for how to go about this for someone who hopes to create meaningful change during their life? 
Oh gosh. That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure. <laughs> you know, I, I, you just have to, you have to focus in on what it is you love to do and what you're passionate about and stay with it and, and keep, keep doing it because I mean, nobody can tell you what, what to do and what you're passionate about. You have to mm -hmm. find your niche. And mm -hmm. even when I used to talk to school groups, I'd say, you all don't need to be the designer on the label. Everybody wants to be the designer. Mm -hmm. Every designer label has hundreds of people who work for them, who are mm -hmm. still in the fashion industry and in the business. Mm -hmm. um, you have to find your, your niche. And you have to, no matter what you're doing, always remember to be nice and be mm -hmm. kind. Mm -hmm. I mean, be nice has been my mantra throughout my career. And anytime I speak to groups, no matter what you're doing, and it's, you have to be nice because you're competing in a world with a lot of people and mm -hmm. nobody wants to do business with people that are prima donnas or think that they're mm -hmm. more special than anybody else. Being nice goes a really long way. At the end of the day, those are the people you want to spend time with. So just remember that as a mantra, but, mm -hmm. you know, be a sponge, study everything, listen to everything, watch everything. To be successful in fashion, you have to know what's going on in the movies, what's happening in the theater, what's happening in the art world. Mm -hmm. um, you need to travel. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. not this year, but <laughs> you know, you need to you need to mm -hmm. you need to know how to navigate the screen in front of you, but you need to have, know how to navigate the world beyond that, and bring all of that to the table. You know, you need to know how to cook. You know, I believe you need mm -hmm. to know how to cook and what the ingredients are, how to set a pretty table how to mm -hmm. make food look presentable. I, mm -hmm. I never understood how people could dress really well and look so chic. And then you go to their homes and they're a mess. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, mm -hmm. all, it all connects. You either have that sense of commitment to style and taste that permeates everything you do mm -hmm. in your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I very much agree. Very much agree about that for sure. Do you still keep up with fashion month each season? Um, sure. I mean, I can't say I've seen everything that was presented in the last weeks, but I've watched several things and, and there are lots that I want to go back to. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'll go back to those two sites or, or to Vogue.com and see the collections yep. that interest me, um, just, just to stay involved. And yes, I still read the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the trade paper. I, although mm -hmm. I wish I had it in my hands and not on the screen, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm still old-fashioned enough to really like holding newspapers to read them. Mm -hmm. Me too. So the magazines are getting thinner and thinner. I'm not sure how much longer they're going to be around. I know. But, um, you know, it's a changing world. But yes, I, I, mm -hmm. I stay, I stay involved, and I have many people I love dearly in the industry. So I want to make sure they're still doing mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And why did they move New York Fashion Week from Bryant Park to Lincoln Center? Was that a good decision? Um, it was a necessary decision. Um, okay. We'd been in Bryant Park for 18, 19 years. And I'd say for about half of those years, it was contentious every year mm. about moving you know, this a foot and moving that a foot. And, mm. um, for many years, once, once Bryant Park added the ice skating rink in the winter. It made it very difficult for us to keep this calendar uh, schedule the way 
fashion week was and mm-hmm. Brian Park would insist, well, just move the shows to this week or that week. And we said, it's not, you just can't do that. You know, there's a whole <laughs> calendar. And we would argue with them all the time and the, and various mayors, and this ultimately was under Bloomberg's administration and working with Dan Doctoroff, who was in his office. And, you know, they said, if we could find another place that could accommodate the shows, we should we should move. And so we spent years looking again all over the city to find places. And every big empty warehouse was slated for demolition or for some reconstruction. And there were no places to do things. And uh, we'd looked at Lincoln Center years ago about working in the in the center area and on the sides and mm-hmm. for various reasons was not approved. And then when the time came for the last move, Lincoln Center had just embarked on a complete campus overhaul and was re- redesigning lots of its, its, um, its buildings, its marketing, and it was a capital campaign to raise money. And I think that they saw that, that Fashion Week coming there would be a cash cow to bring more revenue to Lincoln Center. And so the, working with them very closely and with the city, uh, it was agreed that we could in fact fit what we needed to on the area that's Damrosh Park, which is the space that's between the Opera House and what used to be known as New York State Theater, which is the David Koch Theater now. Mm-hmm. And it's where the Big Apple Circus is or was. And it necessitated, unfortunately, cutting down a couple of trees on the street, which I think IMG might still be paying for with civic trials because in New York, they'd let you kill somebody before they'd let you kill a tree. <laughs> and, um, so that became an issue. And they were able to build on top of the parking lot entrance that's on 61st Street that goes underneath Lincoln Center. And so that's why if you remember the setup there, when you'd walk in, you had to walk up about 12 sit set stairs Mm -hmm. the platform was as high as the big planters that were in that area of the park so the whole thing was raised up Um, and you know to me it looked very institutional there the front Mm. replicated the limestone buildings of Lincoln Center so you Mm. you no longer had the fun graphics that we had at Bryant Park Mm-hmm. You know, it, and there's a big Mercedes sign. It looked like a car showroom right? You know, from the outside. And the mm-hmm. venues inside were beautiful. They were terrific state of the art, the best ever, but the lobby was very, very big. And um, IMG loved the big lobby because they were able to sell more sponsorships. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the sponsorships, when they get to be too, too much, um, they wind up turning off the fashion industry because they just want to go in there and get to the venue and see the shows. Right. So there wound up being so many people involved in being at the tents every day who had nothing to do with the shows. Um, but it was a it was a citywide decision and an industry-wide decision to move there. The contract was for five years, and I think everybody hated it because it was also it was a long walk from up from Columbus Avenue mm-hmm. into the tent and then into the venues, and, and then people would have to get out and race to other places. Yeah. Um, it was it, it, it was okay. It wasn't mm-hmm, the best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was it a good decision? And it's no point in rehashing that because it was, it had, it had to be done. Sure. At the time it was, I'm sure. Most and definitely. Then, and then it moved to locations down on Washington street and the, the mm-hmm. post office building behind uh, Madison square mm-hmm. garden and all sorts of different places until, 
until IMG was able to settle on Spring Studios, mm -hmm. which has some very nice venues, but mm -hmm. I, mean, I live on the Upper East Side and schlepping yeah. all the way down there below Canal Street, where the traffic is mm -hmm. always a nightmare. Several blocks away, you'd always see people running from their cars, afraid mm. that they never <laughs> go on time. You know, and then you'd have to get in and take elevators up to the sixth floor. Right. You know, that's not ideal for this kind of scenario. No. And then you have to run over to Brooklyn real quick. And then you have to run back over to yeah, Brooklyn, <laughs> Brooklyn, East Brooklyn, East became, Brooklyn became a venue. Go figure. Right. Just the last few seasons, I feel like we were just running all over the city, just, you know, in such a crazy way. So what do you think is, this is huge too, and I want to get to fashion icons, but what, what do you think is the future of the fashion industry? Well, I think it's going to stay. I think we're going to still have a fashion industry. We all still are wearing clothes. You know, we may not have bought as much as we previously have in this year, you know, and our, and our choices have changed a lot, which is, is appropriate. But I think that we all still want and love and need that aspirational thing that fashion does, you know, that changes your life, makes you feel special, makes you feel um, something to mm -hmm. reward yourself with or to notice, be noticed in. I think mm -hmm. socialization will start to happen again as more and more people are vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, people will go out and I think people are probably really sick of their uh, leggings and sweatpants and, you know, 14 different tie-dyed sweatshirts. <laughs> um, you know, I know I am, but, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't care right now because I'm home in my house in the country, but you sure. know, when I start to go out, I'm going to want to look normal again. Yes. And, and so that will happen. And, and the future, it, can I say the future is bright? I don't know. It's going to be mm -hmm. brighter. It's going to mm -hmm. be different. The fashion industry is very resilient and the people in the fashion industry are very creative and they know how to how to move with the times and with what's going on. Um, I've always thought that the fashion industry provides the best time capsule. You know, if you come mm -hmm. back in a hundred years and you want to see what was happening in this era, you know, open it up and see what people were wearing. It tells you mm -hmm. what, what was happening. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of talent out there. I think that I think that we'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And right now I have a lot of brides and mothers of the brides as clients and I'm struggling, struggling to find the dresses because everybody pivoted to sweats. You know, I'm just like, oh, so it's I all know, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen a great white sweatsuit for a wedding yet. Somebody know, exactly, exactly. Yes, please don't stop designing beautiful dresses. All right, here we go. What is fashion icons and why are we taking it digital? Oh, good question. Well, fashion icons is a series of interviews that I've been conducting over the last eight, nine years uh, in, in, in conjunction with the New York's 92nd Street Y, which if anybody's listening doesn't know, the 92nd Street Y is an institution on the 92nd Street in Lexington Avenue in New York. And it's over a hundred. It's about 150 years old, and it is the preeminent cultural um, home in New York for so many things. I mean, they have housing there. They have uh, probably the most prestigious and difficult daycare center to get into, and and uh, children's school. They have jewelry workshops. They have 
dance classes. They have everything in the world going on there. But their preeminent thing they're known for is their speaker series in the Kaufman Auditorium and the Buttonweiser Theater above that. Uh, if you're a president, a prime minister, an author, an actor, a, um, a muse, musician, anything, you are you perform or you are interviewed on that stage, you know, by Hoda Coffey or it used to be Charlie Rose or uh, Katie Couric or whomever. Um, and it's just, it's, it's been in my life the whole time growing up in New York. I used to go there all the time to hear different people speak. And when I left IMG, uh, I was taking, I had taken a year off to chill and enjoy mm -hmm. my life for a while. Uh, I left, as we, you all know, when the tents left Bryant Park. So I really was not, I was involved in the negotiation and the move to Lincoln Center, but not in running the shows at Lincoln Center. Mm -hmm. um, I happily would only go there as a guest. And, <laughs> and so nobody could complain to me about what they didn't like there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had a meeting with a friend who I was introduced to by a famous photographer, Timothy Greenfield Sanders. And I met with a woman named Susan Engel who heads up the programming at the Y. And she said that they were interested in expanding and doing something with fashion uh, because fashion is one of the big cultural industries in New York. Mm -hmm. And they have series on all sorts of uh, things um, on, on real estate, on history, on Jewish studies. It's basically a Jewish funded organization. And, and, um, would I be interested? She said they've done one-offs through the years, but something that more permanently establishes fashion as a as a as an industry, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I said we talked about it, and I I said, well, you know, I'm usually the one that gets interviewed, but mm -hmm. I suppose I could put together intelligent questions, and I'm curious about a lot of designers, and I love sharing their stories, which mm -hmm. I tried to do a lot when I was at CFDA. So she said, you know, we named it fashion icons with Fern Malice. And she said, you think you can get some good people? And I said, <laughs> um, yeah, let me try, you know? And so the first season we kicked off with uh, Norma Kamali and then had um, uh, Calvin Klein and, and then Donna and Tommy Hilfiger and Mark Jacobs and Michael Kors and, you know, you name it. We, we had them all. And it, took off like nobody's business. It was one-on-one -on -one interviews. And I'm as proud of this series as I am of having created Fashion Week because many of these are the definitive interviews of these people's lives, you know, because of the mm -hmm. relationship with me and knowing them and having worked with them, there's a warmth and a friendship on the stage that mm -hmm. conveyed. And they say things to me where, I mean, more often than not, people say on the stage, Oh my God, I never told this to anybody. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, Mr. Valentino says, you know, I, I never tell any, I never tell anybody any of this. I tell you what kind of underwear I'm wearing. You know, and they said, yes, please. They're wonderful. I mean, I have the last interview with um, Oscar de la Renta um, mm -hmm. less than a year before he passed away. And, you know, telling the whole story of his life from the Dominican Republic and trying to create a fragrance as a child, you know, by collecting mm -hmm. dew drops off the flowers early in the morning from his mother's garden um, to Bill Cunningham's interview, which anybody mm -hmm. who was in the auditorium at that, that moment 
still talks about as having been the most epic experience of their lives, listening to talk because he's a very private man and doesn't do Mm -hmm. that. Uh, And he did it for me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and Tom Ford's interview was sold out in five seconds when it was announced that they even had it in, in the big auditorium for 900 seats. And, and we played it on the screen up above uh, for 300 more people to just watch it live from Mm -hmm. what was happening in the theater below, you know, so this interview Mm -hmm. series, I've now done about 50 um, interviews. Wow. And the first 19 of them became a book with Rizzoli uh, that you can buy on Amazon. And it is the definitive uh, textbook for uh, anybody in the fashion industry or in many careers. Because the stories are not about, tell me about your fall 2000 collection versus your spring, you know. Tell me <laughs> sure. about who are you? Where did you come from? Where were you? What would tell me about your parents? Tell mm-hmm. me about your siblings. What was, what was your room like growing up? You know, when did you start putting clothes on Barbie dolls to, mm-hmm. you know, what did you wear to school? Did you have a uniform? And, you know, you find out all about these people from a very personal point of view of who they are and how they became the people they became. You know, the mm-hmm. first group of people I interviewed, none of them, you know, were, were handed a silver spoon by a parent or a relative and said, mm-hmm. okay, it's time for you to take over the business now. You know, mm-hmm. they all created these businesses from zero, from nothing. And that's fascinating to me. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you do that? What do you do next? What do you, when do you hire the lawyers? You know, when do you, um, sure. you know, how much money do you need to get that going? Were you able to produce the first order? You know, how did, who did you call when, you know, uh, it, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful stories. So um, that's the, the, the mm-hmm. series and the interviews. And they've all, they're all recorded and beautifully recorded. And the 92Y has always put up a little like three minute clip of all their, the interviews, but that's just a teaser. And we've never really um, made the deal, so to speak, to air the full content of these. And this year, COVID, COVID kind of turned us all around about that. And since everybody's looking for content like crazy, mm-hmm. people just are insatiable about what they'll watch and stream all night long and all day looking for something. I think you can't have a conversation with anybody these days without saying, what have you watched? What are you watching? What should I see? Did you see this? Did you see that? So and, true. and I am constantly running into people who say to me, Oh God, I wish I could see your series. Oh, I missed that. I couldn't be there or, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, it was sold out or sold you know. out. And so, you know, like we waited now content is King and, I was happy that uh, we were able to work with the Y and with YouTube to create um, the Fashion Icons digital series. And um, we're doing it slowly and strategically. So it's not like all of a sudden you can go on YouTube and see the full interviews of everybody. But Mm -hmm. we started last month and there's three of them that have been uh, put up. We've done introductions where I've been recorded uh, explaining what the series is about and then explaining what the episodes are about. And on YouTube, there's an attention span that Mm -hmm. we've learned. So people don't want to sit there on YouTube for an an hour or 90 minutes to watch the whole interview. So these are broken up into three segments. So it's part one, two, and three. Um, And each week we, each week we release 
the new segment. So mm-hmm. ultimately, the you know, net by Wednesday of this week, all three segments will be up for the first three, which um, were Eileen Fisher, Christian Siriano, and Beth Ann Hardison. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it might seem random why those three, but you know, in this day and age, we picked those three because we wanted to start off with brands that give a damn, mm-hmm. uh, that are doing doing good and doing something that matters and makes a difference. And Eileen Fisher clearly is the woman who invented the sustainable fashion business. And you learn a lot of interesting things from hearing her. Christian Siriano has stood for inclusivity and size inclusivity. And uh, he's just done so many things right. Uh, You know, when it started with Leslie Jones, when he uh, dressed her after reading a tweet that she couldn't get somebody to dress her for one of the award shows. And he's now dresses all these extraordinary women and plus, you know, it's not in the interview because the interview was a few years ago. But, you know, in this day and age, the minute COVID happened, he was the first one on the bandwagon to call uh, Cuomo's office and say, we'll make masks and put mm. his team together and provided thousands and thousands of masks. I mean, he just is on the right side of all these issues. Mm-hmm. And um, Beth Ann Hardison is uh, somebody I've known my entire professional life and I've loved and admired. And and she stands for all of the right issues about diversity and inclusivity, and on, both in the runway and in advertising, in business. Uh, she's now involved doing some of the diversity and inclusivity initiatives mm-hmm. for Gucci and for the CFDA. And um, she's, she's a powerhouse. So those three you can see. And then we've created something called the edit, which is another segment of an idea or a thought or something that crosses across several of the different designers that all share the same experiences. So the first one is on working with Ralph. And um, and so many people in the industry have worked at Ralph Lauren at some point in their career and they all call it Polo University. (laughs) So this one includes the first episode was with Vera Wang talking about working for him and then Mm -hmm. John Barbados. And then the third one is Tom Brown. And so the best way for everybody to tune in and watch these on YouTube, they're free. You have to go to, you have to subscribe, but go to at Fern Malice, go to my Instagram page, everybody, and go mm-hmm. to the bio. And in the bio, there's a link that says, you know, uh, fashion icons and just hit the link. And that takes you right to all the segments of my fashion icons, all listed one after another. It's the easiest way, instead of spending endless time with your remote trying to spell out Mm -hmm. fashion icons on YouTube channel, (laughs) which takes you all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, And then next month, we're going to add, next month, we're switching to three more designers that we're going to feature, which is going to be in time for International Women's Month. And so we're doing a thing called Girl Power, and it's going to feature the interviews of Norma Kamali, Iman, and Diane von Furstenberg. And again, it, they'll all be broken down into three parts. So you, it'll take you three weeks to see the entire mm-hmm. interview with them. And, um, and then we're going to do an edit called TH35, which will honor Tommy Hilfiger uh, and the 35th anniversary of his brand and also his 70th birthday. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, girl power is um, 
Well, girl power is an edit. That's not their whole interviews. I, I have to correct myself there. Okay. Um, but what we'll let you know, well, if you stay tuned, we'll let you know which are the next interviews coming up. Yeah, um, that's great. We're working on all of them. So that's an edit where you'll hear comments from all three of them, one one each week. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way you're doing about women in, women in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, March is Women's Month. Okay. The name for that, but that's very exciting. And I love the way you're doing it with just a little segment, a little bit each week. So it's kind of like a series where- Yeah, it is a series. We want you yeah. to come back. We want you to subscribe so that people yeah. will continue to do it. And then, I mean, we have plenty of content. Trust me, we will mm-hmm. constantly be revealing it and and, and, and sharing it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and along that line, we're also this year working on volume two of the Fashion Lives, uh, Fashion Libs book. Mm. So I'm very excited about that. We just, just signed the contract about two weeks ago with Rizzoli. And there's going to be about 15 new interviews in that book. Oh, that's wonderful. So a new book is coming out. That's fabulous. And that'll be out next February, 2022. Okay. And we're working with Nordstrom's on that. So that's going to be Congratulations. That's great. That's incredible. And we're definitely going to include links to everything Fern related in the show notes so that you can easily find everything. Fern, what change do you wish to see in the fashion industry? We were really excited last March. Everyone seemed to be coming together, having these interesting conversations to spark change. And now here we are a year later, and it seems everyone is doing the exact same thing. Well, I think everybody has to give themselves a break this year and, you know, yeah. pat yourself, pat ourselves all on the back for just surviving. Right. Mm-hmm. This has yeah. been a year of mm-hmm. like nobody's business. I mean, I still can't quite get my arms wrapped around mm-hmm. um, what's happened in that, you know, I have these huge calendars in my office that I mount on phone core for each year and mark off all the big things that are going on. So when I'm scheduling things and trips, mm-hmm. Uh, 2020, there's nothing on it. It's just, mm. it just, it's gone. Mm. I mean, it just, for a year that was also so horrible, it mm-hmm. went by so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just gone. So I think, I think we're all using this year to think about things that we want to do differently. And some people have been very good about that with learning new crafts, learning new skills, changing behavior, exercising, dieting, losing weight. You know, then there are those of us like me who put on COVID pounds because, me too. <laughs> you know, it's like, if the world's going to end, I'm not going to stop eating, you know, it's who knows, you know, and I, I think that we all have to, I, I don't know what's, what's next and how, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm, uh, I'm, I just hope people stay. Um, I know at the beginning of COVID, there was a lot of messaging about being kinder and nicer to people. Yes. You no, know, when everybody was clapping and clanging for the frontline workers and mm-hmm. the emotion that that all showed was was beautiful. And, you know, I hope we don't lose respect for those people and continue to honor those kinds of people who are working with with mm-hmm. everybody. Um, I know sustainability is mm-hmm. coming more and more important to the industry. I think when we first uh, in early COVID saw that the canals in Venice um, really have the waters blue and there's fish in them mm-hmm. and that the sky in China and the sky over Mumbai and India and Delhi, where I would spend a lot of time in India and mm-hmm. I miss my trips to India. Um, 
that the sky is clear and in LA and all the uh, gas emissions, mm-hmm. you know, it all taught us that we're all really responsible for this planet and all of the damage that's being done, we've caused it, you know, right. that isn't coming from somewhere else. We're all responsible and have to take, take charge of that. And, you know, and I hope with this new administration, thank God, there are mm-hmm. people who care about that as well and are making the right decisions. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, those are the, this, you know, those are small steps, but those are enormous steps. If people would just be kinder, if they would do the right thing, maybe more of mm-hmm. us need to become vegetarians. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are the things that'll, that will make this world a better place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Fern, now I'm nervous about wearing jeans after listening to, <laughs> to all your episodes. Oh, no, but- jeans, are, jeans are going nowhere. I know that they use up a lot of water to be made and they're not echo... Um, but there are some brands that are very um, conscious to that and are making a difference. But, you know, I'm not asking people to give up jeans or to stop wearing leather shoes. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are small things we can all do. Um, yes, most definitely. Yeah. Well, just because you were saying the dye, it's probably... But they've worked on that. Yeah, there are places that are dealing with that. And, you know, you just okay. got to do a little more homework. You know, follow mm-hmm. some of those echo conscious, you know, echo fashion mm-hmm. brands and um, people, God knows there's enough conferences and talks about it every day in the industry. Right. Right. We just have to ask questions. Yeah, um, it is. It's a lot. That's exactly what you have to ask questions. You have to ask. Mm-hmm. It's just so much to take in. Like you said, what do you think about, is there any way that they would go back to maybe not quite so much, so many seasons, you know, showing so many seasons and always this idea about newness. Do you think that will ever slow down? Well, I think that that's happened already. I think that they've, the calendars, so to speak, and the designers have pretty much eliminated pre-fall, pre-spring, all the extra um, collections. And they've also, the collections they've been showing seem to have been edited more and they're not Mm -hmm. quite as, quite as large. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, since more and more of the business that's happened in the last year is direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. I think that people are paying much more attention to the timing of collections and what they're making and, and making it available for consumers directly mm-hmm. um, because people aren't, you know, racing to, you know, Saks and Berghoffs right now. Sure. Um, you know, and even those stores are feeling the pinch and it's the online business that's doing it all. Everything is online now. Mm-hmm. As much as mm-hmm. we want to hate Amazon, you, you, you'll got to love it. Yeah. No um, kidding. But, um, you know, I think that there are, there are cutting back on the amount of collections. And I think people are being much more um, conscious of all of that and, and the delivery dates, which I think has always been a sore subject for a lot of people. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Okay, let's discuss digital versus physical runway shows. Yes, runway shows are expensive. They aren't necessarily sustainable, but they can be so magical. And Fashion Month, like you said before, is filled with camaraderie and community. What are your thoughts on digital versus physical? Well, I think that there's uh, clearly there's room for both because that's the world we're living in. I mean, everything is Mm -hmm. digital. Everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when we first started fashion week in the tents um you know we used to have somebody standing outside the photographers entrances and exits with big huge um uh, tote bags collecting all the film 
and they'd run to labs and, and develop it. And then you'd see photographers hours later or the next morning sitting in the corners with a loop and a contact sheet. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was a different world. Then mm-hmm. when digital cameras came in, people would, oh, we can't let them in the shows because they're going to be sending their pictures to Hong Kong immediately mm-hmm. and everything's going to be knocked off. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that happened on two dresses. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's not the case anymore. But now we live in a digital world. I mean, we, we're all getting broken backs and spines from living in a digital world. <laughs> you know, I've seen a doctor in New York last week and she showed me the chart of the amount mm-hmm. of people that they're seeing because they're all <laughs> leaning, sitting yeah. and leaning in a position, slightly leaning forward uh-huh. on Zoom, on their computers from morning, noon and night and, and or leaning down further with an iPhone in their hands. And, you know, the, we, we're all used to doing that. I mean, Zoom mm-hmm. was a novelty. Now it's, a, it's our lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we used to get up from a desk if you were in an office and you'd go down the corridor and go to get a cup of coffee or you'd go to the corner Starbucks and you'd come back or you'd sure. go meet somebody for lunch and then you'd go to talk to your boss or your colleague around the corner or down the other corridor and you'd come back and then you'd take a taxi or the bus and you'd go home and you'd, Now everybody's in that same seat all Mm -hmm. day long doing this, looking at a screen, going cross-eyed and leaning and then, and it's doing irreparable damage to people's um, spines and backs. So they say nothing of their heads. So, you know, all of that is there. Um, So I pray that there's more physical out there. Right. Um, And like I said, nothing replaces the energy and pulse of being Mm -hmm. a live event. You know, you could watch all these sports events with cardboard cutouts. Mm. But, you know, meanwhile, the sound that you hear on TV, um, I, there was something, I don't know, it was on 60 Minutes or one of these shows where over the year before COVID, this company had been recording all the sounds of audiences at these different sports events for every different thing that happened. And they were recording it for some reason, nothing that yeah. they anticipated. And now they have all this these sound effects, which they now are using to play back in these arenas. So, you know, you're hearing people shouting and clapping and, you know, <laughs> denying, and, you know, that's not coming from cardboard bodies. <laughs> so, you know, it, there's nothing yeah. like being at the live event. Right. Um, but, but none of us want to die for it either. So no. you know, until more people are vaccinated and there's some sort of, um, mm-hmm. you know, control over everything, you mm-hmm. know, it's not going to happen. So we just have to mm-hmm. be patient. Yeah, maybe there'll be a hybrid of both, the merging of the both. Speaking of emerging, what about when do you think, what would you recommend? We work with a lot of emerging designers. And at what point do you think it makes sense for them to have a show? Um, When they can afford it. Yeah. Which most emerging designers can't. Right. (laughs) You know, I would tell them to hold off, you know, just keep doing, keep emerging find Mm -hmm. their loyal audience, find the people who really love their stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. photograph it on Instagram as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Get the name and the brand out there, you know, Mm -hmm. until, because until you even know who's even watching the show, you Mm -hmm. know, online, you have no idea who's, I I don't think you know who's tuned Mm -hmm. in. Um, Mm -hmm. The live show, yes, you can keep better track of that, but uh, you know, if you ask me today, I wouldn't even know who to tell you to invite anymore. Um, Right. So it, it's, uh, you know, the internet is an 
is a fascinating place. And mm -hmm. I, it's a miracle to me how people find things on that and how things become viral. And but it happens, you know, I used to yeah. say, I used to say emerging designers were like, um, well, like truffles, you know, and the fashion editors knew how to sniff them out and find them, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I have to believe there's still a way to sniffle them out, even in this mm -hmm. digital world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the delivery cadence as a sore subject earlier. And since you worked as a fashion director, you understand the delivery cadence. Since it is not see now, buy now, which is frustrating for the consumer when you actually want something, it's not available. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think more and more of it is being made available. Mm -hmm. you know, there are the various um, new businesses that have emerged through the years, like Lauren Santa Domingo's business. Oh, um, Moda. Yeah, Moda. Moda Operande and things like that, mm -hmm. which let you buy the minute it's, you know, right. shown. so you at least, you know, grab that um, brass ring when it happens. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we... The, it's, you know, some of it can be a problem, but, you know, we've, we've educated consumers a lot. And, you know, I think by showing, and that was what Donna Karen used to go crazy about and Ken, and Ken Downing from Neiman Marcus that, you know, customers are seeing so much online and so much on Instagram about the shows. And, um, you know, and that happened more with live shows when the pictures were out there. Less so now, I think, with the digital, mm -hmm. um, what's new and what's happening. And, oh, how come I can't buy this right now? Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think that that's all somewhat resolving itself somehow. Good, good, good. How do you think people can make a difference in the fashion industry today? By, you know, being kinder and being nicer. And um, you can give back by, by buying more clothes and wearing clothes. And you can mm -hmm. give back by making an attempt, if you're on the business side of it, to do more sustainable um, practices and, and like we said, ask the questions and learn how to do that. What makes a difference? Um, you can figure out how to repackage things differently and not use so much mm -hmm. plastic and mm -hmm. fake things to sh ship things. And, um, you know, and you, you can, you can give back by mentoring and by, you know, providing advice and counsel and, and offering to help young designers and, and students and, mm -hmm. um, you know, throw your hat in the ring to, to, to mentor and, and help people. And, um, you know, you can organize clothing drives, which God knows now people need more than ever in places, you know, mm -hmm. how many people probably in Texas, you know, could never get their closets open again because their houses have mm -hmm. been ripped open and, and how mm -hmm. many, you know, natural disasters do we have where people need, they need mm -hmm. clothing and they need, need stuff. You know, you, mm -hmm. um, I did a, an event online with Goodwill Industries and, you know, you can bring your stuff to Goodwill, which then gets cleaned up and recycled and upcycled. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's all about um, regenerating everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you're in the fashion industry, don't, don't throw out stuff that you're not using. Find mm -hmm. other ways to use it. Um, Greg Lauren found a way to use every scrap on the floor in his factory for the clothing. Mm -hmm. created a new new business just by sewing all those pieces together and it became new yardage and new new fabric to make things out of you know that's how you right. can give back you know don't just be a little more conscious great advice 
Fern, how do you keep up with the fashion industry? Any podcast, newsletter, or publication recommendations? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too many of them right now, I feel. Yeah, I, yeah, truthfully, I don't know how to find half of them. There's so many out there. But, right. I mean, I, I'm online. Anything that interests, piques my interest, I look at and see. I mean, I get some of the magazines. I look at other things mm-hmm. online. Um, you know, I talk to friends who are out there who who are seeing more things than I am maybe because I'm out out on the east end right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know once you love the fashion industry you're always it's always part of your DNA and it doesn't mm-hmm. take long to catch up on what's going mm-hmm. on and you know hearing the buzz somehow and uh, staying in touch with everything and I do read um, you know fashion uh, the daily front row every day and their stories and I Mm-hmm. Read a lot of the Vogue.com and some of the business of fashion and um, certainly WWD. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's enough. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. You could spend your entire day just doing that. <laughs> between Zoom calls, you could. Right. Me. Between that and Zoom calls. Right. Exactly. Um, so I think it's so interesting to think about when you created this thing that we all know of as New York Fashion Week, when you were setting it all up, did you have any idea the impact it was going to have? Um, no, no. I mean, I it was the right idea at the right time. It, you know, mm-hmm. I know that people were always wanting to have something organized, but it was an idea and somebody had to run with it. And it seemed like <laughs> I was anointed that that job and for me, it was a lot of common sense in putting it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from registering press to finding out where they're staying in hotels so we could send invitations, mm-hmm. designers could send the invitations to them, you know, when they arrived in New York to, um, you know, and then then taking that digital. I remember the first time we made that list available on a disc, it was like a big deal. Um, I, 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 had, I had no idea really. Um, it was doing the right thing at the right time. And, mm-hmm. you know, the planets aligned, everything came together, you know, was the, the best people and the best team ever mm-hmm. working with, you know, I worked with Stan Herman, who was president of the CFDA. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and he's one of my best friends and lives a few houses oh. away from me here on my lake on this lake. Oh, that's great. Um, he turned me on to this lake in this property and so i'm eternally grateful for that as well mm-hmm. but you know the the teams and the people who worked for me and um the people who put everything together you know everybody from uh ty urio and the citadel security team who was there from day one um to various other people who worked for me from ann waterman who was you know helped me get the tents up and running when she mm-hmm. worked for me and then went on to worked for Michael Kors for years and is in San Francisco now to um, all my friends who came through the sponsorships. And, um, you know, it was a remarkable time. I had no idea. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then now that you talk to people, they have no idea that that even existed. You know, there's a whole generation who don't even know what, when you say Brian Park, what that really means. You know, for me, when you hear anybody in the industry say Brian Park, you know, it means they've made it or they, you know, made it to Brown. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm proud of that. You know, I think that that'll probably be on my tombstone someday. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, it was. You know, I, I hope somebody would just put it on a park bench in the park. 
<laughs> yes, in Bryant Park, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll be just very to, happy for that. Just to you know, yes. But um, I'm you know I I am proud of it and mm -hmm. uh, and and I'm shocked sometimes the resonance that it does have when you know mm -hmm. I go places and I see people look at me like, "Are you Fern?" You know. Oh and, sure. You know, and I'm like, "How do you know who I am?" <laughs> everybody knows who you are well, and there's so many biographies i've read by people that talk about you know the first time they got to sit on the back row in the tents you know and moving up from there i mean so many people it, it, it just you know it's it's just it's just iconic that's all i can say yeah it was a place i mean yes the volunteers who worked there who went on to get jobs and into the mm -hmm. industry and um i mean it impacted so many people's lives Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, I just recently read a note to um, my colleague PC uh, from um, one of the guys who did all the videos for the shows for years. And he wrote it to me after we closed Bryan Park for the mm -hmm. last time. And it was, it was the most beautiful love letter about Aww. thanking me for, you know, the life that he and his family and his children have because of what, what I had done and to wow. please never forget the, the importance and the impact that it had on his career and hundreds of others like him who you know, were first afraid that this would you know, mess up their lives, but it opened up more opportunities and businesses for them to be successful and how mm -hmm. it impacted their careers and, and so many designers and people in every aspect of the business. It's not just mm -hmm. designers, it's public right. publicists and producers and um you know, lighting designers and um, sound engineers and you name it. So, mm. you know, I, I, that, that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And last question regarding the fashion industry and wrapping up here, what is it that you think the fashion industry needs today? New York Fashion Week was much needed when you created it. And I feel like we're at another point where our industry is in such a state of flux and chaos. It needs a little bit of help. <laughs> if you don't have an answer, it's okay. It needs it's a little TLC. Okay. Little, I mean, everybody needs a little TLC and the industry needs mm -hmm. to, you know, like I said, catch your breath, give everybody a break a little bit. We've had a tumultuous, mm -hmm. a, not even saying that word right, an insane, yeah. an insane year. I mean, I, I just don't know how people in the industry have really, been able to pull off what they've pulled off in this year. Right. I really, I applaud them all. And mm -hmm. you know, let's all collectively just listen a little bit and talk to each other more and just listen mm -hmm. more. And um, I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful that everything will. Right. will be, will be, will be better. It will be a new normal, even though I hate that expression, it's going to be different. Yes. Nothing's going to be the same. You can't go back, but. I just want to see the restaurants open, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the times. stores open. Right. We think about the inconvenience to us for just all this virtual stuff. But then you read something like Philip Lim talking about, you know, staying in the city and being, you know, so isolated in his little workroom and not being able to work. I mean, these people have survived and thrived in really scary, 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 lonely times. You know, yep. they kind of felt like they were totally alone, you know, and, and they've, they've, done, they've made it, you know, they've survived it. So I think that's the kind of stories that I would love it's more people to know. 
And I've been making my morning eggs the way Philip Lim showed me on his um, <laughs> on Instagram. And they're, yeah. they're the best. Just got to use a wash, some sunflower oil to get really hot, scramble up your yeah. eggs and throw it in there. And they puff up like this big pancake. Yeah. And have it crispy on the bottom. And they're Ooh. the most delicious eggs you've ever tasted. So oh, definitely try that. Try. that. Those are my, that's my, um, my COVID new favorite recipe. <laughs> that's great. I'm going to definitely and try it. Thank you, Philip Lim. Yeah, oh, yes. He's adorable. <laughs> All right. I think we already know this, but we can go over it one more time. What's next for you? So we know that the book is coming. Book two is coming and the continuation of the fashion icon digital series, you know, yes. and, and going forward, the book and the series will integrate and uh, be, you know, strategically connected. Um, I think that that's, that's, that's wonderful. There's a few other balls in the air, but oh, yeah. nothing I can talk about yet. <laughs> Very exciting. And then Fern is the best place for people to find you on your Instagram. Yes. Instagram at Fern Malice. And, you know, it could also lead you to my website, uh, which mm -hmm. is fernmalice.com which we try to keep up to date and post things and some stuff on Facebook, but Instagram seems to be, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. be the, the spot. Well, Fern, this was lovely. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We'll stay in touch. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.